This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 46 with guest Constanza Say. Hello everyone, I'm your host Daria Sovorova and welcome to the show. From the German Bundestag to the tech giant Meta, Constanza Say started her career in politics, later on heading the Department of Economic and Innovation Policy at the Germany's digital association Bitkom. Today she is the head of society and innovation policy at Meta, previously Facebook, where she is also leading communities that support people of color and women in leadership. Today we speak about racial justice, explore self-identification and discover the interplay between technology advancements and the impact it has on our society. If you want to move things, you have to move people. So join me for today's conversation to learn how Constance is making a difference with her work. And if you enjoyed the episode, take a few moments and leave a review. Constanze, warm welcome to the studio today. I have many great questions in store for you, so <laughs> cannot wait to jump directly into those. Yay. And thank you so much for making it all the way to the heart of Kreuzberg. All the way to Kreuzberg. No, thank <laughs> you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. I love to ask people what motivates them and what drives them in their personal, professional lives. And I was curious to know what motivated you to study politics, but not just stop right there and actually go into the tech sector and bring your learnings into the tech sector. Could you share more? Yes. So I've always, always been interested in politics in the sense of their role for society. How does society work? Which, which role does politics have? How can we shape society? How can we become a better, more fair society? Those were questions that I think were always with me, of course, also because of my upbringing and uh, the fact that I just, uh, you know, had to ask these kind of questions at times. And for me, it was very natural to study politics back then. And luckily, because especially back then, it was, you know, when you started political sciences, let's say that, like your career path, I don't want to say it was it was fixed, but there were a lot of people, of course, who worked in very traditional policy related jobs. And for me, I actually had the opportunity to work with an IT company back then um, as, a, as a student job and really got in touch with like the power of technology, right? Mm -hmm. So I was an SAP partner back then and I thought it was so interesting. So I really started digging more into the intersection of technology and society and politics. So I think that was always a triangle that I was interested in. So when I graduated, I took the opportunity actually to take on a job at SAP mm -hmm. um, that was, a, again, a great coincidence. And I just took the opportunity. It was actually, I started off as an intern and then it turned into a full-fledged job, uh, which was great by that time because that was like a uh, financial crisis recession time, 2009. Mm. So it was even hard to get even an internship. And I really thoroughly enjoyed the work there in the government relations team, um, really also understanding how, you know, technology can work with and for politics, um, uh, what, what the dynamics are. And at some point I realized, okay, if I want to understand more how the dynamics work and what kind of impact also, you know, politics has with regards to technology and society, I need to go there where, you know, the sausage is being made, which is like <laughs> the parliament. 
And actually, there was an opportunity for me to work for a, um, a member of the parliament at the Bundestag. Yeah, you work for a German Bundestag. Yes, exactly. And I did that for almost three years. And mm -hmm. that was an amazing time, learned a lot. Um, of course, it's it's a great network I, I was able to make there. But then, uh, you know, for me, it was pretty clear at, and at a certain point that I want to go back into, into business, into the industry, um, because I felt it's just more agile mm -hmm. and uh, diverse. And uh, so I took the opportunity and uh, worked for uh, the IT Association for Germany, um, stayed there a couple of years, and then was very intentional in saying, hey, I do want to work for a company and a company that is very international, a company mm -hmm. that is pushing boundaries, you know, that is innovative. And to be very frank, uh, at least from my perspective, there weren't that many companies that checked all these boxes. Mm -hmm. And I love how intentional and conscious you are about your decision and choice. Yeah, yeah, actually, I, I was. And um, but I but I do have to say, I mean, looking back, of course, you know, it, it seems like uh, a big master plan. But I think I was just, you know, I had a good gut feeling and I was guided by, I would call it today a sense of, of purpose um, and, and the values that I have. And some of them are fairness, for example, And also financial independency, which is actually also something important to realize because that also informs, of course, you know, parts of your of your uh, decisions. And yeah, I was very intentional also in, you know, the, the setup I wanted to work in, like in an international company. And again, a company that is really pushing boundaries and that is, you know, optimistic about technology. And again, there weren't many companies out there doing that back then. And uh, Meta and formerly Facebook was one of them. So yeah, I applied and it worked out after 11 interviews. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Only 11 interviews and I got the job. Yeah, I mean, they, they boiled it down. Uh, but I think back then all technology companies had like major, major interview loops. Um, but it also gave you the opportunity, of course, to really That's get cool. to know the company. Yeah, yeah. so that we, was We are going to talk about Meta uh, later on in our conversation because I had also some questions and I'm curious to understand about your role because you've grown also in a company, yeah. you've been there about over seven years, I guess, right? Yeah, seven so, years. So amazing. So there's a lot that you can share. But before we go into that, there's a project I wanted to talk about, which is called People of Deutschland. Yes. And you're taking part in that project. And it shares stories of everyday racism and how people that are participating in this project want to foster change and foster racial justice in Germany. Mm -hmm. Could you tell me more why you wanted to take part in it and why it's important for you? Yeah. So People of Deutschland, uh, as you mentioned, is a, uh, a book project and then even, even more. Uh, so stay tuned by Martina Rink and Simon Osifo. And it is an amazing project and i and i love it for for many reasons i'm very happy to be a part of it so one is that it really shows the variety of people of color in germany and i mean that like literally right like all shades of being of color in germany but also in terms of backgrounds and i think that is very important so you do have you know actresses singers sports people you know corporate tech people uh, journalists a lot of people participating and are being portrayed in that book and i think that is very important because the The picture, the the impression of people of color in Germany is still, I would say, very limited, right? So there is 
also historically there is, you know, there are black people, for example, in sports, you know, that are being celebrated or maybe in entertainment. But on the other spectrum, you have a lot of, you know, black people in the, um, you know, in blue collar jobs. And this is also like in terms of how people portray black people, you know, mm -hmm. it is very one sided. And I think really showing the variety of, of lives and professions also of black people or people of color in Germany is a very beautiful thing in this book. And the second thing why this is very dear to my heart as well is that it is actually the very first time that I've spoken so personally about topics that I care about, right? Mm -hmm. I talked about fairness, racial justice, structural discrimination. Those are topics that I've been talking a lot about for, for years. But rarely, I have to say, on a very personal level. And that is also due to the fact that I think in order to understand and also tell your personal story, you really have to dig deep, you have to find words, you have to decode things. And I think for me, looking back, there were a lot of situations in my life in which I didn't realize back then that this was sexism, racism, you know, or that I was being discriminated against. Mm -hmm. So for me to find that story and voice was a beautiful journey. And, you know, being part of that book and really writing down my story or an episode of my story really helped me also in, in, in uh, How many people that. are participating in that? Oh, that is a good question. It seems like a big project. It <laughs> is. It is. I don't actually know, but I don't know, 30, okay, 20, wow. 20, 30. Yeah. Looking forward yeah. to it. How have you personally been fighting racism? I think, you know, th there are there are different there are different ways. I think the, the very first thing is really also or has been for me to, you know, to find my voice and to to realize like structural racism. I think mm. I mean, I've experienced, you know, blunt racism before, but in the rather also privileged environment that mm. I that I live and that I work, of course, the, the the forms of racisms are much more subtle. And there is something in in research which is called race switching uh, or covering, and that is basically, you know, especially for example, I'm I'm mixed and. Uh, race switching is something, it's actually a coping mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. Where you turn to one part of your identity uh, more than to the other, or you basically neglect the other because it's it's just being challenged too much or the conceptions around your other part of your race identity are, are just too negative, right? So it is really tricky also to, you know, <laughs> to find your wholesome peace, so to say. And I did that a lot because, um, and, and to give you an example, that is, I don't know, funny or sad, I don't even know. But like when I was younger at school, for example, and I think that is still the case, but especially back then when I went to school, there were so negative stereotypes and connotations when it came to people from Africa, right, from the continent. And this is something that I also got a lot. Like my dad is, is African, he's from Ghana. And at some point, because, you know, then at some point, hip hop became mainstream in Germany and everybody thought that US rappers were so cool. And at some point, at least in some occasions, you know, I told people when they asked, like, oh, my dad, oh, yeah, he's American, you know, because that was much cooler, perceived as right. much cooler and much more accepted than me uh, if I would have said, oh, you know, he's from he's from Ghana, he's from Africa. And I think looking back, it is it is very sad that I covered in that way, but it was like a coping mechanism, right? 
So this is just one example from from my younger self. And then, you know, later in my in my career, I think there were also traits of switching and uh, covering, right? For example, I mean, I have my hair in a bun today. <laughs> you can't see that, dear listeners. But I have like like a huge afro, like and curly hair. And I would like for years and years and years, I think even until I almost left my my former employer and started at Meta, I've never worn my hair in curls, like never. It was always straight, like straight or in a bun yeah. or in a ponytail because I didn't feel like, you know, I could I could show that that side of myself. And that's very unfortunate. Absolutely. And I hope the next time we see each other, I get to see you in full swing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm wearing everything. Braids, you know, cornrows, the afro, all okay, good. Okay, but so I there has to be part two. There yeah. has to be part two. So I get to the, the whole impression and of, of that. But how do you think this still bicultural background shaped you? And what do you take pride in today after all those years and finding your identity and being happy and comfortable with where you are and how people perceive you and building that pride. Yeah, I think it's it's really a journey and I think today uh also uh, shamelessly uh doing some advertising for social media here. Uh but I think the the beauty of today is with all its challenges is that you do have social media, you do have online communities, you do have people you can connect with. So for me growing up as the only black child in a village in the north, I mean that was hard, you know, to find somebody. I mean It wasn't hard. It was impossible to find somebody who looked like me, right? And even the standards back then. So there were, you know, magazines like like Bravo or Bravo Girl or whatever. There were certain uh, shows on TV that always displayed a certain type, which was like a blonde, maybe brunette, but rather blonde girl, very skinny. You know, those were like the idols back then. And there was no way to find anything else but that or to connect with people who looked like you or who had like you know similar experiences like you and I mean luckily you know I, I I moved away I met people in you know different organizations due to travels and of course being in Berlin living in Berlin that you know helped me also find my identity and talk things through and nowadays I think younger people who still have similar challenges but it's easier to find you know people they can connect with, even though mm -hmm. they might not be physically close. And that is already something very helpful. So, but still, it's a journey, you know, finding your yourself and also not seeing your mixed identity as an issue, but something that you embrace. And I do that very much. I think it's a huge, huge privilege to have like two cultures in me, to being able to relate to different cultures. And for me, it's a huge, huge asset, but it has definitely been a journey. Mm -hmm. I spoke about this topic also with my previous guests, and we always uh, came to a conclusion how great it is to have two hearts. Yes, right? exactly. Yes. You're probably also part of the two I hearts. I am. Shout out to two hearts. Yes, definitely. Yes, it I, is. And I it love is. that expression because yes. it is, it's beautiful. It is. Yeah. And you just have one more heart, right? So I mean, <laughs> that is a good thing. No, I embrace that very much. But I would life, I would say I would have that I would have done that from the start. It's really a journey. But once You know, once you have that, it really makes you really, you know, strong and calm. And I think this is something I wrote in the People of Deutschland book. Um, actually, it's I think it's even the title of my of my article. You can't be great in pieces, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. You are your best, you know, in private, even in business, when you come and show up as yourself. And wholesome. Self, and wholesome, yeah. you know, and not cover like really fundamental parts of your identity, like being a mother, being black, being whatever, um, because that costs energy. Covering costs energy. So also from a business point of view, that's not smart if you have an environment where people don't feel like they, you know, can be themselves because covering that stuff up is is really hard and costs energy. So I think for everyone who really, you know, can show up as as their selves at work or in private life, that is where I think you are the strongest. I love it. I think it will be one of the best take takeaways from this episode. <laughs> I also love to talk about impact and results, mm -hmm. um, Constance. So I know that besides having your full-time job at Meta, you're also part of and you launch programs for women in leadership, as well as program for people of color. Those have been there for a while. So what results, what impact you saw that those programs have made at Meta? Yeah, so do, those two programs are basically um, our employer resource group. So I, I found the Black at Dach group, so the uh, network of, of um, employees that self-identify as Black in our region some years ago. Uh, a very, 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 very tiny crowd, <laughs> and uh, we still we still want to grow. Um, but uh, with the Women at Meta group, or women back women at Facebook back then, um, that was an already existing network when I joined. And, and I'm now lucky to be part of the EMEA leadership team for that network. And I say lucky really by intention because, you know, when I joined Meta seven years ago, there was already Sheryl Sandberg. And I know that not everybody, you know, embraces her perspective of feminism, especially like back then, uh, it has evolved, I have to say uh, this as well at this Can point. Can you shed some light on her perspective? Yeah, I mean, it was very, you know, when Lean In came out, and it was definitely also for me, a Bible um, for me as a woman in a corporate environment. But this is at least, you know, from my perspective, what it was about. It was about very privileged women in, in a corporate environment who still had and are still facing major challenges. But that was her perspective. Um, and I think there was a lot of criticism about, you know, not seeing uh, the broader spectrum or just speaking to a certain set of women and, and claiming that as a feminism. But again, I think, uh, you know, her uh, focus back then was clear. And, and I think she has put a lot of thought into, you know, broadening uh, that scope. But however, she is a freaking trailblazer, you know, for women. 100%. Generally, I think, but especially who want to pursue a career in, in corporate. And, you know, when I joined, her DNA was already like showing everywhere at the company. And back then, like seriously, I know we talk a lot about DE&I these days, but You know, back then, seven years ago, nobody talked about this. And there was like like no company, nobody, or at least not a lot of them. And if they talked about it, it was a lot about women, of course, but it was not about other, you know, dimensions of diversity. And equity, nobody really knew what that was. So this has really changed. But again, I was lucky to step into an organization back then where this was already an existing network. And I think what we managed since then especially with our current uh, EMEA leadership team, is really to bring in a an intersectional perspective because women are not a monolith, right? So also having an understanding at the company that while all women might be, you know, more privileged than, than other women outside, 
single mothers, black women, the women with, you know, uh, disabilities, they have different challenges from other women inside the corporation, mm -hmm. inside the company. And being mindful of that and understanding these intersections of, of different identities uh, within, you know, our women at community, and then catering to that and creating programs that really address these intersections and not think that, yeah, you know, we have whatever a women's day or, you know, we're celebrating something or we have a panel on womanhood or, you know, and, and just not being mindful of the intersections and different challenges that the women that women have. Mm -hmm. That is something I think where we changed the mindset and also enabled a more targeted programming and, and also created more compassion within the women community mm -hmm. for each other. So within bigger community, there's also tailored programs yes. for everyone who's identifying maybe single moms or dis disabilities. And there's a particular then support for that group. Yes, exactly. And mm -hmm. we, we just exchange a lot. So for example, to give you an example, we we celebrate, of course, International Women's Day, but we make it a whole month. So we do programming for the whole month. For us, it's International Women's Month in, in March, it is, I think. And what we do is really we try to do the programming with an intersectional lens. So, you know, we do talk about menopause. We do talk about racism and all of this, these things. And we also try to bring in really um, intersectional perspectives to that, right? Mm -hmm. So... What I, for example, see a lot is that also in general that, for example, you know, companies or networks, whomever pride themselves in, you know, setting up an all-female panel, for example, even though I would even, you know, challenge if that is always the best setup. But, you know, and I think, yeah, cool. But I mean, look at the women, <laughs> like five white blonde women or, you know, five single women. Why not include like different perspectives of womanhood here? right, if you have them in your organization. Um, so really being mindful of those intersections and bringing those different voices, even within the women community to the table is so important. Also, again, for programming, for, for example, questions of promotions, right? If you if you just take the lens of, oh, the woman and promotions, what are the obstacles? You really miss a lot of layers because those questions, the biases might be different for a black woman than it is for a white woman in an organization. So I think if you really want to succeed on these questions, you have to go the extra mile and, uh, yeah, be not lazy. And get the input from different angles, Exactly, right? yeah. Right, I love that approach. What is your opinion and what have you seen that truly works and makes an impact when it comes to building diversity and inclusion within organization, but also across companies, so more on a macro tech industry level? Mm. Oh, I think there are several things. And I will start really from the top because this is where it need to start. The reality is a lot of those initiatives are grassroots, you know, women, marginalized communities, very engaged people who start of, you know, networks, initiatives, days within their companies, which is great. But ultimately, it's a leadership topic. So if leadership is not behind that and makes it a company priority and like a strategic goal with KPIs attached to it, um, you know, you won't succeed as an organization. And I think the other thing is to be really bold and maybe also vulnerable and see this whole thing as a journey. It's not a project because then people will ask, oh, when is it done, right? If we have like two two women, two queers, two X, X, Y, Z on the board or, you know, no. I mean, those are all KPIs that an organization uh, can can set for themselves. But 
like diversity and especially the inclusion equity piece, that is like an ongoing journey. And it has to be a journey that is not just being discussed, which is still is very much in the HR department and recruiting department. But it's really a question of how do these things show up in our in, in our organization as a whole, right? In our product development, in our marketing, in the way we do events, in the way we uh, program our algorithms, you know? It's not just a recruiting topic. So I think, A, it needs to be a leadership topic and it needs to be something that needs to be um, executed and analyzed across the board. Now, Constance, to your kind of main focus uh, because right now we're talking about you know your side projects and things <laughs> yeah, that you're involved paid in for now, <laughs> <laughs> because here I'm very curious you're head of society and innovation policy at Meta and could you tell more about what are you working on and how is your team is set up and just for the listeners to have a clear understanding of what it means to be head of society and innovation policy <laughs> at Meta. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's a very fluffy title. So I co-lead the public policy team for Germany, Austria and Switzerland together with my fabulous colleague Semyon. And within the policy team, we have two pillars. So one pillar is the regulatory pillar that, you know, deals with regulatory topics and, and issues um, as we have some of them <laughs> at Meta. And the other part, uh, which, which I uh, dedicatedly uh, lead is the society innovation policy team. And what we do is, you know, we look at all topics that are related to society in a way that we work a lot with, um, you know, civil society, actually, with activists, with academia. And we're looking at topics such as, you know, women's safety, safety of marginalized groups on the platform. Um, we look at topics such as misinformation, digital literacy, that try to come up with programs and partnerships to, you know, um, create more awareness, education around these topics, and also for us as an organization to get better. And the other part, which I think is is very exciting, especially for me, is the innovation bit, where we look into the opportunities of new technologies that we're building, like in the AI, VR, and AR uh, sphere, uh, the opportunities of these technologies for society and for societal challenges. Yeah. And I think not a lot of people know that Meta and, and even back then Facebook has been a hardware company for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we build really novel technology in those fields, artificial intelligence, virtual reality. So with like the Quest, for example, which is, and people might challenge me on that, but it's really like the best VR headset out there. And smart glasses that we've just released um, with with Ray Ban. So that we're working on on a lot of exciting hardware and technology, which will pave the way for the future of the internet. Right. So you've probably heard about the metaverse that term, and I, it's basically the future of the mobile internet as as we know it right now. Mm -hmm. So we work a lot in that field, and I think there is a huge responsibility that come with, you know, developing new technologies and devices and being a part of that, you know, new internet. So looking into those responsibility topics and also facilitating dialogue very, very early on with regards to safety, with regards to diversity mm -hmm. and inclusion, economic opportunity is something that our team does a lot with these different stakeholders that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And then the second piece to it is creating use cases and partnerships to really make those opportunities more tangible mm -hmm. and one example is a really exciting partnership that we had with the old national gallery uh, here in berlin 
uh, earlier this year where we created an experience where you could actually it was an XR experience, so you could also access it from, from your mobile or desktop. But of course, like the full-fledged version uh, and experience was uh, the best in VR. And you could actually immerse yourself into the painting of um, uh, Jan Erdmann Hummel. That was the painter that was being exhibited um, uh, earlier this year. And you could take pictures in that painting, right? It was mind-blowing. And now people might want to ask, okay, what does this have to do with policy? But the thing is that, and I obviously didn't build the experience, so shout out to my colleagues from Creative Shop, but it was actually very policy driven because we wanted to showcase the power of immersive technologies for democratizing access to art and how you experience art, because that is a very elite project. People who go to museums such as the old National Gallery and experience or, you know, occupy themselves with German painters from the 19th century, you know, that is a certain set of people. And to democratize that in a way and, 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 and also make it more you know, open, accessible and exciting for new audiences. This is something that we wanted to show with this experience. And, you know, it worked out. And um, this is something that really drives and motivates me to find more of these use cases. This is exciting. I mean, there's a lot of things you're working on. Yeah. I'm just I'm blown away here. Back to like the regulatory side, what policies in the DAC region that you're currently rooting for and hope that come into play? Well, so um, I, I will I will spare us all with uh, with like lengthy discussions around uh, certain pieces of legislation, but on a more general remark, I think we are very excited and uh, eager to see what the new government and still fairly new government come up with in terms of digitization strategy. Right, so I think. You know, Germany has always been more on the, you know, risk side of things. So when it comes to technology and of course, you know, me talking for Meta and an American tech company, that is also a very specific perspective here and a relationship we have. But um, very generally, I hope and not just speaking for Meta here, but also personally, that we look more into the opportunities that technology really have. Because, I mean, we've seen that it may be the healthcare system or education, you know, things, sustainability. A lot of things are not working. And if you ask me, technology is like the only way we have in a lot of these areas to really enhance things, make it more accessible for people and really, you know, create more effective systems. And looking at these, this opportunity side of things and really being intentional about really, you know, putting technology first. And I'm not saying that, you know, of course, you need to address, you know, the challenges and, and create a stable regulatory framework for that. But I would love to see more, you know, enthusiasm and, and uh, you know, for technology and what it can really bring to society. But do you think it's a bit challenging to do all of this when you work with Meta because it's a it's American tech giant and in Europe, especially in Germany, there is a very protective kind of approach, uh, especially when it comes to data. Do you feel that challenge or you feel that there is still an openness to the discussion and exploration of what can be done? Definitely both. It is absolutely challenging uh, because, I mean, we as a policy team, we're out there, right? Um, I mean, I personally, I, I have the joy to work with uh, a lot of stakeholders, let's say, from a wider political ecosystem um, or societal ecosystem from academia to NGOs and others. Um, so I get to experience many different perspectives, right, that are not less critical very often. But, you know, I, I at least have a fuller, fuller spectrum. 
But on the other side, yes, of course, there is also an openness and, and we are, and this is part of our job, right? We are in, in a dialogue. But again, I think it is important while addressing like the hard issues, uh, such as data protection, as you just mentioned, to not, you know, lose sight of the opportunities, um, mm -hmm. you know, that technologies and companies like Meta bring to German society, to German industries, uh, to the German Mittelstand uh, and others. And so, yeah, it, it's, it is both. It is challenging, but uh, right, still right. we can. And, we can and in terms of in terms of partnerships, I mean, this is so great that you shared that one. I think I also saw it online where you could experience the painting, as you yeah. said, and that really opened up the whole new perspective onto how do we experience art and yeah. explore museums. Any other partnerships that you would love to happen? Oh, well, there are so, so many. I'm very excited for, and I, and I can't speak speak too much about it as of now, but I'm excited about partnerships in the educational field, for example. Partnerships also that uh, colleagues of mine have been working in the US on, uh, on job training, on upskilling. There are so many things where, especially if you look globally or when I look towards my colleagues in Brazil or, you know, on the African continent, where you really see the appetite and the, the hunger to explore the opportunities for more participation. And, you know, there are still a lot of challenges, infrastructure, price of the devices and so on and so forth. Yes. But looking at the opportunities, especially for these immersive technologies that are there for more participation, um, you know, for example, in the educational sector is, I think, hugely promising and very exciting. Mm -hmm. I think that brings me to the question, which I'm very curious what would be your answer, <laughs> because I have a quote from you here, which starts as, in the last few decades, there hasn't been a bigger revolution than the digital one. And it has always motivated me you're speaking from your behalf, to understand what this is doing to societies. Mm -hmm. And I think this is so interesting. And you shared already about your role and how you're exploring that impact. And now working for over seven years for one of the le leading tech companies in the world, what do you think impact will tech make on our society and maybe key impact that comes to your mind and something that you are really looking forward to? I love the term of the walk and internet. It's really how we interact with, you know, digital content in our everyday lives, right? I mean, I'm very happy that we get to sit here together in the room. But, you know, if not, we, we could have not, maybe, you know, we would not in the future meet via Zoom. But, you know, we I could talk to your hologram, for example, you know, or we right. could meet in VR. And I think that new sense of presence that will be possible through these immersive technologies, that is definitely something very, very human, right? Because by the end of the day, we want to feel connected and we want to be connected. But there are so many restraints to it, as we also saw in, in the corona pandemic. But again, also coming back to my um, educational example. So, for example, you know, being able to take classes in countries where, where you would not be able to afford to live, right, in VR or in, in a different immersive way. I think there are huge opportunities, like in the e-health sector, um, you know, for surgeries, uh, for remote surgeries and so on. So I'm very excited. And I think, you know, the metaverse is being built right now. So it is a lot about, you know, also allowing ourselves 
to think about what this can mean for different sectors. And I'm not just meaning, okay, how can I basically put my work, like how can my 2D work look in 3D? I mean, there's also a potential, but how can, for example, you like storytelling, cool. So how can storytelling look in a you know 3D dimension? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you are a creator, you make music. So how can this look, you know, in VR? What, what kind of opportunities are there? And I think, you know, also in my job, it's a lot about talking about the challenges. So yes, how do we cope with, at least for our experiences, because, you know, we're not the only ones building the metaverse, but for our experience, how do you deal with safety, with harassment? Because we know it's, of course, it's also in VR, right? It's, it's not it's not vanishing. So these are questions that we need to look at. But there are also a lot of other questions mm-hmm. that we don't even know yet and allowing ourselves to also think about like like bigger about the opportunities is something that, you know, I'm very excited about. And I think, you know, we have just started looking into these. We're just getting started. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. It's a new stage ahead of us, right? We kind of got settled into in the Web 2 and I think we reached the full potential and now we're at this beginning of Web 3 and kind of tapping into that. Yeah. Which is a journey because Web, a journey. Web 2 was a, was a journey as yeah. well. It took us a time for it to getting settled, getting familiar with it, yes. onboarding our family members exactly. into, onto exactly. all the technology. Exactly. And Web 3 also will come. Maybe yeah. there will be a couple of years until we will get familiar with all the terms, all the opportunities out there. So yeah, very exciting. I love that you shared that perspective and you know, here we go. Let's see. Let's see what's ahead. Uh, we just have to do our part. Exactly. Constance, this brings me to the last question of our conversation. I usually ask about women role models. And I love when my guests share a highlight of their woman role model and who they look up to. Who is your woman author of achievement, Constance? So there are a lot of women that come to my mind. But one that I really want to share here is um, a former colleague of mine, Ibele Okobi. And she built the Africa policy team at Facebook slash Meta. And when she started, she was basically, you know, a one woman force and she really built a whole army. And why I'm mentioning her is for at least three reasons. One is there is this term of being uh, unapologetically black. And that really means, you know, not being ashamed of your identity and really bringing your true self also to work. And this is what she lived. So, you know, from hairstyles to, you know, traditional African clothing to, you know, she was just in her actions and the way she carried herself in a still very white dominated industry, especially in in, in, in male dominated industry, especially in the um, at the intersection to politics, you know, she would just bring her true self to work and would not see that as a contradiction to her, you know, abilities or, you know, seriousness or whatever. And then second is that you know, she had a very clear purpose. I mean, she already had a vast career when she started and she had a purpose. And I'm not sure if she would put it that way, but let me put it in the way and say, you know, to really unlock opportunities for the African continent through technology. And, you know, the job at Meta for the year she was there was her vehicle. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but it wasn't like the job wasn't her purpose, if you know what I mean. So, you know, the job title, yes, that belonged to Facebook. But her purpose, her character, that was hers. And that was always evident, you know. And now she's doing something else and she's doing it there, you know. And the third thing that I really took away is 
And by the way, the essence for me is you are not your job, right? You need to know what your purpose is, but you can take it anywhere. If you work in a bakery or at Meta or, you know, wherever. And that was something right. very important for me and freeing also to understand I am not my job. This title is rented, but, you know, I know why I'm here and I might potentially do it somewhere else at some point. I love that. And the third thing is joy, choose joy. So she experienced a lot of challenges, especially also while she was at Meta. For example, her brother was being uh, murdered by the police in the US. So she, she herself, she's uh, American-Nigerian. And um, her brother was, yeah, is, is one of the many, 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 many uh, victims by of police brutality in the US. And, you know, but still choose joy. And that is a term that she very deliberately used. You know, I choose joy. And in that sense, you know, she was always, you know, she always hold the pen of her own destiny and the way she looked at things. And, and this is also something that I took away, you know, to allow myself the freedom to choose joy no matter what. Wow. What a strong person. Yes, yes. I mean, she is. <laughs> She's definitely yes. deserves this highlight. <laughs> and I hope she hears this episode because, you know, I get also goosebumps when you spoke about her. As you said, just uh, carrying that joy throughout your life and being present, uh, taking space in the room and not giving up on your personality and who you are. I think this is a very important learning from this episode as well. Thank you, Constance, for being on my podcast. It's a pleasure. I loved our conversation and Thank I you. love that we talked on so many important topics such as racial justice, exploring self-identification, but also understanding the interplay between technology and society. And you're doing an amazing job. Thank you. Um, Looking forward to seeing what happens next and what next emerging <laughs> experiences will there be. So I'll I'm keep my eyes too. and ears open. Thank you so much, Dari. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.